The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm very excited because we're going all the way to Australia, way down under, to talk to Andrew Eddy, who's going to tell us all about employment, neurodiversity, autism, and the way things work way down under over there. Andrew, welcome. Thank you, Hacky. Good to be here. Um, great to meet you. You're the co-founder of Untapped. Why don't you tell our audience, first of all, introduce yourself properly, because I didn't sure, do that, sure. and uh, tell us about Untapped and your other organizations. No problem. Yes. Yeah, so um, so I'm, a, I'm actually a chartered accountant, like a CPA, um, and I've had a long career in, in finance and uh, in consulting work. Um, but it's in the last few years, uh, working with um, someone I knew uh, who um, had done some work in this area um, and came across this concept of uh, looking to employ autistic young adults who weren't working into software testing roles um, really captured my imagination. And at the time, I was... Um, involved on the board of directors of one of the universities down here and I introduced uh, that organization to the research area at La Trobe University which is one of the oldest autism research centers in Australia and they started a connection and started a program and started getting research into that program so that program has been now running for five years and it's employed over 110 young adults in software testing, cybersecurity, and data analytics um, in various government departments and some commercial organizations, uh, which has been exciting. Um, but the research has continued, and it's now um, probably the only um, program in the world that has an underpinning from a longitudinal study in research. So, um, and it, it's a very comprehensive program because it, it's not just about finding people jobs, it's about creating a change in the organization and a set of structures and scaffolding to support them to integrate into the workplace and also to take the company on a journey to be more autism aware and autism accepting and, and really dispel uh, a lot of the myths around and, and try and get them to understand the opportunity and become a more inclusive uh, organization. And what we've really found out of that is it's had incredible flow on benefits um, to the culture of the organization, to the employee engagement, into the general uh, inclusiveness of these companies. So um, so that's and, – and, and just working through this with that organization and introducing them to companies, it, it's just something that I got closer and closer to. And I was really struck by how – how many people are in, impacted by this, whether they're autistic or they're the parents of autistic kids or young adults or the, the uncles or aunts? Uh, it's just amazing. And how many uh, senior executives I went and talked to about this and I tell them about the opportunity and they look at me and they say, thank you so much, my son's autistic or my niece is autistic. It's just incredible. It's like this 
amazing, like overrepresentation of um, these connections in the people I was talking to. So uh, you're just amazed at how much uh, interest there was in this. So I got more and more involved, and eventually we formed this organisation called Untapped uh, a couple of years ago, and. Uh, started partnering with uh, DXE Technology on their program, and then we started talking to other companies about their program. And the whole thing about Untapped is about creating what we're trying to do is create uh, a neurodiverse employment ecosystem that's self sustaining. And um, whilst DXE had a lot of success with IT related roles, we're keen to expand that, and we're talking to engineering companies and accounting firms and law firms. And, police forces and all sorts of things. Um, but in, it's all very well to have a program and create this interest from these companies, but you've then got to find the individuals. And they don't, they're, they're invisible. Um, once they get through a certain stage in their lives, they seem to almost disappear. Um, we have a disability employment um, insurance scheme here in Australia, and 29% of people on that scheme are autistic. It's the biggest cohort of people. Wow. And a lot of them stop dropping out, start dropping out of school at year eight. Many of them don't make it to the end of school. They don't see and their parents don't see a pathway to university or college. Even if they get to get to university, they'll drop out in the first year because it's too much of a change. Uh, even if they get to the end of uh, university, um, they'll tend not to have work experience. They'll have this, if you get this CV, it'll just be their test aimer with this is the subjects I did. And when a hiring manager's looking at this autistic person with subjects, even though they might be good marks, and a, a non-autistic um, who has done work experience at EY or JP Morgan Chase or whatever, it, it just doesn't compare, and a hiring manager will go with this other person because they don't understand the opportunity. So um, what we saw was to, to make this ecosystem more complete, we needed to be talking to the universities and the colleges and partnering with employers and trying to create um, a, a set of things around that transition to university, about getting through university, and about getting work experience so that by the end of university, you can compare to, to the others. So that's what the Neurodiversity Hub Initiative is about, and that's another part of what we're doing. So the Neuro Neurodiversity Hub Initiative is a co-curricular program that we've developed in theory. We've been very lucky to have some funding from DXC, and we had some interns from Cornell come all the way out here to Australia for four months a year ago, and they worked with me on creating these materials, which we've now put up on the neurodiversityhub.org website. And now we're encouraging universities to join this community of practice. We're encouraging employers to join this community of practice and use some of the materials we have, implement the program that we're pushing, uh, putting forward, um, and then create those opportunities for these young adults. Tell us about the synergies between the two organizations, the Neurodiversity Hub and the uh, Untapped. Untapped. Um, well, I guess uh, Untapped, we're trying to do that whole ecosystem, and that includes links to research. We've engaged with architects on designing neurodiverse-friendly um, placemaking guidelines. 
uh, we, we engage with a work designer on the work, designing the work. We're partnering with disability employment service providers to find help their clients. Um, and then the neurodiversity hub where we've got one university in each state in Australia and we're only a small country so we only have 39 universities in Australia. Um, but we've also had the chance to link in with universities in the US and, and England. Um, so we really see the neurodiversity hub as part of what we're trying to uh, promote as, as part of the ecosystem and we actually see it's a good way to engage employers in the process because uh, you know obviously companies are not probably willing to jump straight in and do an employment program um, but what we say to them is well look come on a journey with us join this hub this community of practice um, you know, maybe come along to the employer expos where we can give you guidelines about how to interact with neurodiverse students. Uh, maybe come and talk at a, a forum that one of these universities in the hub are putting on um, and, and talk about the opportunities in your company. Maybe we can organise a field visit for some neurodiverse students to come and visit your company. Maybe we can have a job shadowing process and then trying to get them to the point of maybe an internship and once we're getting to that stage of internship, and we also then provide training to the organisation on how to work with, with these individuals by using the Optimize e-learning platform, um, then we've got the chance to then look at whether we can then go to an employment program. Um, and then in the employment program, we use things like LifeSherpa and Optimize to um, help support um, them in, that, in their jobs. So... They're intertwined, but um, Neurodiversity Hub is, it's not, an, it's not a company that exists. It's a, a concept, a community of practice. It's got this fantastic website with so much work has been put into this by so many people all around the world to create this set of materials and this thinking. Um, and, and we just see that as a great way to help companies start the journey by joining. And for those who are already well down the journey to join and um, provide uh, input to the to the program with their experience, with materials that they're happy to share, whatever it might be, um, and whether that's universities, companies, or researchers. And how do you, how do you recruit and how do you find these invisible <laughs> um, neurodivergent uh, individuals? Right. Great question because there's no database, um, and we don't we don't go out on one of the job sites to advertise. Um, what we do is we go through um, the hub website, through our social media, through our website. Um, but the biggest area is through the autism associations, um, who are happy to um, promote it through their newsletters or whatever. And what we find when if you, if you sit down with some of the trainees that we've got on board and you ask them, how did you find out about this? They say, they say my mum told me. <laughs> and we see, we see that is so important because often because of executive functioning issues and other things, if, you just, if you're only dealing with the autistic person, they may not get around to um, putting in their application to express interest in the program. Whereas... Yeah, if they got the mother involved, then it's probably going to happen. Well, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, I just gave a talk out at uh, Dr. Lawrence Fung's uh, 
the Stanford Neurodiversity Project there. And um, <clears throat> afterwards, we got a lot of applications for uh, internships. We're in Florida, but out there in California, it's, a, it's actually a dividend we're finding from the coronavirus times. Um, because of the virtuality of everything, it's really opened up the gates for us because part of our whole thing was, you know, with these parents who have a bright person sitting alone in their room on their computer, we were getting them over to our little green screen studio, getting exposed to making media, editing, getting in front of a camera, meeting other people. And now the coronavirus, they're back in their, they're back in their rooms and enjoying it because we found that they've been much more social at our virtual meetings. We just had one earlier today with about 12 of us. And um, we're actually thinking of doing a research study on that, um, on how the coronavirus thing is affecting uh, these individuals. I, you know, I don't know what your experience has been there so far in Australia, if you've noticed any kind of difference in behavior. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's been some listening of anxiety in terms of having to get to work um, not having to deal with public transport, um, not having to deal with the face-to-face -face in the office. So there's, that's decreased. Um, but there has been heightened anxiety about the virus itself. And, you know, could they, could they catch that and so on? So we've seen that different things. We've, and we've been trying in different ways. Um, some of the guys have still been able to go into the office with proper physical distancing, but many are at home. Um, in some cases, we've tried various things. We've just had a Skype channel running um, during the day for a few hours, just not a specific meeting, just having the channel running so that they can be doing their work at their desk at home, but they can hear everyone else. It's also working here. So you just have it running. It's not a, a meeting. It's just it's just an open channel. Well, we got to try that. And that's that's been really beneficial. What do you see as the biggest roadblock to integrating the neurodivergent individuals into not just the workplace, but into society? I think it's, it's really the narrative is the big thing. And it's about how do we change that automatic mindset that people have, that they've developed through their lives from what they've heard. There's just such a low level. and um, you know, some of our organization, autistic organizations here in Australia have done studies on this and, and there's a report they've um, put out recently about the current state of that and, and the high proportion of people who don't understand. Um, um, so that's, that's something we've got to try and shift and that's, you know, we, we try and talk about the results of what we're, we've, we've noticed in these programs um, by picking out various little stories about the level of productivity that's been achieved, the impact it's had on the culture of the organization. So I've tried to share those things around as a way of shifting that conversation. We're also working with another organization called Dear Dyslexic here in, in Melbourne, and they're focused on dyslexia, and they're very much on the same page of trying to shift the narrative around dyslexic individuals. So 
Um, it, I think it's a common thing that we've got to try and see how's the, what's the best way in which we can impact that conversation. I spoke with an organization a few weeks ago uh, about doing a program and they looked at me and they said, look, don't know if we're ready to do that. I said, what about internship? They said, I'm not ready for that. Maybe we should just focus on helping the people we already employ that are autistic. I said, well, that's great. Fantastic. Not many people think about it that way. They, a lot of people think it's a choice they now can make about employing an autistic person. They don't realize that 1% of their employees are probably autistic. Um, and they said, well, well, why don't we do that? I said, well, that's great, but guess what? You don't know who they are, and they are not going to just put their hand up because <laughs> you, don't, you haven't changed the culture. You've still got this mindset, and they will not, they will not come out if they don't feel safe. If they don't feel psychologically safe, they won't come out. And what we've seen, I shared with them, I said, what we've seen is the biggest way to impact that conversation is to actually start a program. And if you start a program, what we've found is people put their hand up and they go, well, I'm autistic, what are you going to do for me? Or they go, well, my son's autistic, how can I help? Um, and we just get this, this groundswell of things happening. So I said, look, I, you know, I hate to say it, but the best way to try and impact the organization is actually do something. And I know it sounds logical, but, but you've got to do. You've got to show action. If you show action, then the com the people in the company will go. Oh, I love this company. You're actually doing something. And but and and as a corollary to that is is that welcoming atmosphere. See, we're lucky when we we get our neurodivergent interns. We're different brains, and it's like. How is your brain different? Well, you know, I, I tell them about my brain. I got expelled in the first grade and the tenth grade. I don't know how I would have been labeled, but, but uh, I don't. I, I think this myth of the so-called neurotypical, you know, um, exists. Uh, not a bad thing, but but everybody's brain's a little different, you know. And, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there is actually a neurotypical, really. Let's talk about how you can increase the comfort level of your neurodivergent individuals to further feel comfortable coming out, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So we've, um, we've actually um, put together some thought pieces on this, um, which are on the hub, and we've done one for universities, so while you're studying in university, and one for the workplace. And so we've had, um, in one case, it was written by an autistic young lady in Bath University in England. Uh, the other case was written by one of the Cornell interns, but with heavy input from a number of autistic people who had actually had the lived experience of being at university and then coming out. Um, and I guess what we're, what we're suggesting, and we're not advocating either way, to disclose or not to disclose. We're trying to share people's experiences and we're trying to make it clear that it's not something you should just go out and tell everyone. You should be very strategic in how you use that information. Um, and if you can see that there is that real benefit from doing that, so if it's for getting those accommodations or whatever, then that's the instance where you might think about it and needing to remember that there's all the privacy and confidentiality things around that. So if you're talking to the right people in the right way, you're protected by that. 
and you just got to be very clear about when and when 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 and when you don't um, talk about that information. So um, so we've got these two thought pieces in these two different environments, and um, they include some research reviews and so on of looking at the impact it can have of disclosing or not disclosing the workplace. Um, so it's some interesting reading there. So I'd encourage people to to look at those. I wonder what the biggest differences are between Australia and the United States in regard to the neurodiversity issues. Um, well, I think you've got a number of college programs that are much more developed than we have. Um, so academically, there's uh, a lot more um, programs that you can go to, uh, Rochester Institute, Landmark College, uh, Westchester University, University of Maryland, Drexel is starting something. Oh, Drexel's got something. Um, uh, University, Emory University, um, um, Georgia Tech. So these are all organizations that we're talking to, and many of them are in the hub already. Um, Stanford um, as well have got a great program, as you know. So um, I think there's some great programs there, but when we started talking to those organizations a couple of years ago to try to test out this co-curricular program at the Neurodiversity Hub. We got some great feedback on what we were doing and some some useful additions to the program. But then when they asked us, what are we actually doing? And we told them about the whole thing. And they said, well, can we join? And we said, well, why? You've been doing this for 10 years. And they said, yeah, but we've got some great academic programs, but we need to work out this employment piece. And can we join and work with you around that? And I said, well, great. great. So um, that's been really interesting just to see how we can try and help that last piece, which I see is almost the most important piece. The females, it seems in all things, they kind of get the short end of the stick, if you will. Yes, And I think in do. autism as well, uh, being diagnosed later on, and and so on and so forth. What have you noticed about the uh, the differences between males and females in your yeah. population? So obviously a lot lower prevalence in terms of um, uh, diagnosis and so on. And then with the employment programs we run, because they're focused more on IT related, we tend to get more males putting their hand up than females, but we are trying to encourage that change. Uh, the other thing is part of the hub program, we saw a need to develop some life skills and work skills training. Um, and so I, I've engaged a, an autistic female, um, Autumn O'Connor, who um, is, has designed a whole curriculum uh, around life skills. Uh, and she's working with a team of writers uh, in Australia and USA and Canada, uh, many of whom are female. Um, and they're actually writing uh, these materials. And that's now been launched on um, a website called um, beyourbest.academy. And we've got those materials. The first um, course is around organizational skills because we see that what she believes is that um, – if, if we can get that foundation of organizational skills, then a lot of other things can be built on that. Um, but she's designed the whole course curriculum. She's um, engaged the writers. She edits it. 
she's even engaged a um, an, an autistic illustrator to do the draw the illustrations for the materials. So it's it's untouched by neurotypicals. So it's been written by neurodiverse for neurodiverse, um, and she's also done a COVID nineteen lockdown pack um, as well. So that's up there, and she's just putting up some. Uh, short courses on what is neurodiversity because she's done some training in that respect as well. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a, a lot lower prevalence of, of females that are coming forward. Um, but I just don't think that, um, you know, the original diagnosis was perhaps accommodating enough for for that. Oh, I think um, it's, I think there's a much higher prevalence than we think. Yes. And uh, exactly. they're able to cover for it. And and again, yes. it's just like everything else, you know, like the anatomy books were all drawn by men, you know, going back. And yes. But we also work with uh, an autistic PhD student of the tribe, um, Beth Radulski, um, who is the first, um, she, she didn't disclose when she was undergrad and now she's come out and she um, is doing a PhD and she teaches. Um, so she did a blog last year at La Trobe and it was the most most downloaded blog in the whole university for the whole year. Um, and we've we've now been working with her and she's now been engaged by the university to implement their neurodiversity hub uh, initiative. And she's been creating guidelines for looking at all the events that the university runs to make them more neurodiverse friendly, creating this idea of a heat map for events like careers fairs and open days so that uh, neurodiverse people can see where are the loud places, where are the quiet places, where are the washrooms that don't have air dryers. You know, they just have paper towels because air dryers are too loud, you know. So all these sorts of things. Um, how do we make accommodations more normal? So uh, I don't know if you know those pipe cleaners. So just they can be great stimming toys just to play with. So what she's done is she's given those to everybody. So all the students who are just helping out in the day, everyone's got one. So everyone's playing with them. So just normal. So if you're needing to stim and you're using that, you're not going to stand out because everyone's doing it. Just trying to create this normality of of this. So that's where she's trying to take them. Um, and she's also running training courses for the the academics, and we want to try and then bring that back onto the hub as a set of materials that others can use as well. Andrew, what advice would you have for the neurodivergent individual to do to untap their true potential? I think it's important they really go for what they're passionate about, and this is what they should focus on. What are the things that they do and are really interested in and keen about and, and know everything about? Because that's the value that they can bring to any organization by focusing on the areas they're interested in. Why do you think retention is higher in the neurodivergent population? So I think part of it is um, that um, if you can create the right environment, then they like that routine and they get used to that routine. And it almost creates uh, a disincentive to go to another place. Um, so, um, provided they can see that there is that acceptance, that understanding, and there's the accommodations for things like, um, you know, maybe some leeway on arrival times, um, and maybe even the opportunity to work from home at times, 
So I think once that's there, um, and they and they feel that they're valued in their work, then it almost creates a barrier to go somewhere else because um, they they're more focused on being able to do the work. They're not necessarily attracted to money. Um, and so whilst you see others who are looking for the next big job and they're going after a few months, particularly in cybersecurity, um, tend not to see that as much. Uh, in this population, I think. Is there anything we have not discussed that you'd like to discuss today? No, I think we've we've pretty much covered it. I mean, we're we're um, very grateful for all the partners we work with, um, with Optimize on the training, with Life Sherpa on the executive functioning smart app, um, with Pymetrics, who we use in some of our screening processes. Uh, in terms of your neuroscience games to identify traits. Um, uh, we've also, working with DXC has been amazing just to help them partner on their program. Um, they've had links with uh, Israel Defence Forces who have a whole autism squadron, and we've been able to take some of the tools that's been developed there over many years and bring them into the program in Australia, which has been awesome. That's around selection and also around um, workplace performance assessment because there's a different approach we think is needed um, of how you assess the autistic trainees as they go through versus neurotypical. So that's important as well. But um, I think that the big thing for us is about having what we call a sustainment program of employment, not just an employment program. So it's not just about finding someone and putting them in a job and hoping for the best. It's about having a set of processes, scaffolding program that helps for the organization to come up the curve, come on this journey, become more inclusive, and really create a program that um, supports the um, autistic person integrate into the workplace, uh, identify their strengths, develop their advocacy, and then hopefully go on and get a job in, in another part of the organization. Um, with the program we run, we tend to have this structure where they come into one area, a landing area, and they start in a particular area and work. And we, it's, that's a great opportunity to then integrate into the workplace and for others to understand how to work with them. But then there's the opportunity of seconding them out to different other parts of the business. And that has a, a twofold benefit. One is that the individuals start to see other areas and an area they might be interested in, but it also helps create awareness in that area about how it is to work with an autistic person and it starts spreading the knowledge further in the organisation. So we very much have a program that anyone can implement in a very quick time, but the whole point of the program is to then be taken in as business as usual in the organisation and help the organization change around that. So I guess that's the difference in the program we're promoting versus some other programs where it's just about finding a job and getting them in. Well, Andrew Eddy, thank you so much for being with us today and keep up the great work you're doing down there in Australia with Untapped and all the other work you're doing. Uh, I, I can't tell you how impressive all of this is you're changing cultures, you're changing employment, and uh, it's, it's to, to me, it's just been an amazing journey with you today.
Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Hecky. It's been great meeting you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.